we talked about him about a month back. We're back dealing with the church at Corinth. Do you remember what we said earlier this year? When we were talking about the church in Corinth, we, we noted just a few things about them. First, that they started off so well, that they were faithful and upright. They wanted nothing but to hear the words of Paul teaching to them the mysteries of Christ Jesus. That was what drove them. And we also heard something else. That quickly, oh so very quickly, things started to go wrong. They went this way and that way. They began using the Lord's Supper as a way to, to stack the rich against the poor. They began to slander their teachers. They began to slander Paul. And yes, they even had an incestuous relationship in the congregation that they were proud of, that they gloried in. That's this Corinthian church. And so Paul writes a letter. He writes 1 Corinthians in order to, to bring these things up to them. He puts all of their sins and all of the ways in which they've deviated from what their Lord Jesus would want them to do. He puts it right in front of them and he does so with strong words. Maybe even harsh words. Such harsh words that it, according to our reading today, Paul second-guessed them. Why? Why did Paul have to be so heavy-handed? Why on earth was it a good thing that he would say all of these things to the point that every man, woman, and child in the Corinthian church felt like they were about this tall? Why? Why is the preaching of the law so strong and cutting and true? 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 13. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you? What earnestness? What eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong nor on account of the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this... We are encouraged. It is such a heavy preaching of the law that although it is the truth, although it is the inspired word of God, Paul says, 
though I did regret it. It's cool in this moment we get this little insight into how God uses inspiration, how he uses human beings to make sure that his word gets down on the piece of paper in front of them so that he could, he could speak through the, the apostles and the prophets and through Moses, how he uses those people who have real feelings and real emotions, real vocabularies. We see how God uses, uses Paul. And how although it is the very inspired word of God that is written to the church at Corinth, Paul even thinks to himself, maybe this was a little harsh. That's how the truth often feels. The truth feels harsh. The truth, the truth has a tendency to cut. It takes us down to our to our inner core, and, and it makes us see things about ourselves that we have no desire to see. I think in a lot of ways, Ash Wednesday sometimes seems like this, it's supposed to be this, this day in which we kind of kick off the Lenten season, but, but we make sure to think Easter's in front of us, Easter's in front of us, but, but this day is just a way of, of kind of kicking off the holiday season. Or maybe this was the day for you to start seeing on, on Facebook and, and Twitter all of the, the things that people were giving up for Lent. As they did exactly what Jesus said in Matthew to not do, to, to disfigure your face and to make sure everybody else knows that you're, you're giving up carbs or you're giving up, uh, you're giving up alcohol or you're giving up this or that for Lent. No, there's something more going on on Ash Wednesday than just the beginning of another church season. It's today that we see the importance of the preaching of the law. We see how important it is for each and every one of us to come before God, measure ourselves up to him, and see every last ugly, nagging, humiliating, pathetic deficiency. Yes, there is a time for everything, brothers and sisters. And, and today, today it's time to focus on, on what we've done to break the relationship with God. And I think on a lot of the other days of our lives, sometimes we just don't, we don't see it. It doesn't, doesn't cut right here. Because we're able to, to look out at this world and we're able to see that person and that person and that person. And those people don't look like they have anything to do with God in their lives. And so guess what? My relationship with God might be broken, but it certainly can't be as bad as the way that they broke their relationship with God. But that's what sin does. The ones that we perceive as big and the ones that we perceive as small shatter that relationship with God to the point that when we, become, when we come before him, we finally recognize what we are. And that's dust. Yeah, the preaching of the law comes in various ways. We could go through a, a, a massive list of sins tonight. We could, we could maybe try to find the one that's, that's nagging you in the seats tonight. But, 
but we don't have quite that, that much time. No, instead, suffice it to say that, that we each have that sin in our lives. Not just a sin, but we have sin in general in our lives that puts a massive chasm between God and us that merits wrath and merits punishment. And brothers and sisters, I don't regret saying it. Just like Paul does not regret saying it, it merits us, merits us hell. Yes, we already had a preaching of the law tonight as, as we came forward and received the sign of the cross on our head or on our hand that reminded us that because we are full of sin, we are but dust, and to dust we shall return. But brothers and sisters, that's really not even where the, the law should have stopped with us. The law should continue. You're dust in this world. And you're dust to God. That's why the preaching of the law is heavy. Because going into this Easter season, this Lenten season, we have to be ready for the miracle and the majesty that is Easter Sunday when that tomb splits wide open and says, guess what? Brothers and sisters, you're done mourning. That time's done. Now it's time to rejoice. Paul writes, Though I did, not, did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. Now, now is the time to rejoice. No, 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 not tonight. But in 40 days, if not for tonight, if not for the, the crushing feeling that the law brings, 40 days from now, what would we, we be looking at? The empty tomb of a miracle worker? That's not good enough. The empty tomb of a friend, that's not good enough. The empty tomb of a teacher, nowhere close to good enough. We preach the law tonight in all of its, all of its heaviness, all of its strength, all of its terror. So that when we go to the grave on Easter morning and that stone is rolled away, we see nothing more and nothing less than a savior from sin. Yes, brothers and sisters, it's a, it's a 40 days of, of constant second guessing. Constant recognition that I, I on my own am not enough. But on that last day, on Easter Sunday, God proclaims very loud, I saved this dust. I saved you soul and body that you might be mine, not just now, but for eternity. There's a time for everything. And tonight, tonight that might be morning. C.F.W. Walther, a, a Lutheran theologian who, who speaks uh, very beautifully about, 
about the distinction between law and gospel, sort of talked about how wonderful, how wonderful the law or the gospel is when the law is preached so, so thoroughly. He compares it to thirst. You sit on your couch all Sunday, you and your spouse sit on the couch all Sunday, and you have been doing nothing all day, and, and one of you stands up and says to the other one, uh, can I grab you a, a glass of water from the refrigerator? And perhaps the one on the couch says, no, thank you. I'm good. I'm not thirsty. And so no matter how many glasses of water you pull from the refrigerator and set right down by your spouse, if they are not thirsty, you could put one glass and two glass and three glasses on the side of the table and they would still say, you know what? I'm not thirsty. But now, brothers and sisters, imagine... Imagine somebody coming out of the desert. Or maybe imagine somebody on, on a Sunday that they are working all day in that South Carolina heat and they come in from the yard. And they're drenched with sweat and it feels as if life is leaving their body and their spouse turns to them and says, Hey, can I get you a cold glass of water? One, down the hatch. Two, down the hatch. Three, down the hatch. It's almost like you cannot get enough of it because you realize the place from which you came was pure and utter desperation. That's where the law drives us. That threat of the punishment of hell, that recognition that our works will never be good enough, that's where the law drives us. To a place of, of deep abiding thirst where we go before our God and, and we can't help but say I need something I need anything and then on Easter Sunday one glass after another glass of life-giving gospel of Jesus rose from the dead for you of your sins are forgiven of there's no fear in this life or there's no fear in eternity there's a time for everything. Tonight it's morning. But come back and see me in 40 days. Amen.